My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Fazila Jiwa and David Bush. Even at the best of times, being a book publisher in Canada is a hard business. In 2018, there were 54 million books sold in Canada, with a total value of $1.1 billion, and there are 245 English-language Canadian-owned publishers. But the vast majority of these are quite small operations with fewer than 10 employees, and globally and in Canada, sales in the industry are dominated by just five huge corporations. As today's guests discuss, a lot of small Canadian publishers depend on government support to survive. And as with all capitalist media, there's a long history of underrepresentation of authors, voices, and stories from all the same groups that face oppression and exploitation in other areas, as well as relatively little openness across the industry to material grounded in radical visions for collective liberation. There are, however, a few smaller publishers in Canada that focus on social justice-related content. Fazila Jiwa is one of the acquisitions editors at Fernwood Publishing, which is based in both Halifax and Winnipeg. And David Bush is the Publicity and Promotions Manager at Between the Lines, an independent publishing collective in Toronto. For publishers both large and small, COVID-19 has made everything harder. The ongoing threat to public health, the devastation of the economy, and skyrocketing unemployment are all taking their toll. Small publishers in particular depend on in-person book events and independent bricks-and-mortar bookstores to connect with readers, and the former haven't been able to happen in months, while the latter are facing their own serious troubles. How this will shift people's book purchasing and consumption habits in an ongoing way is uncertain, and the exact details of what all of this will mean for publishers in general, and for Fernwood and Between the Lines in particular, remains to be seen. But as Bush put it in the interview, it is, quote, obviously not good. In the face of all of these challenges, radical publishers from around the world have banded together to support each other. It started with an organization called Literal, which puts on a book festival that was supposed to be happening in Spain. When COVID made that impossible, they began to reach out to publishers and put together a sort of month-long online book fair involving a wide range of different kinds of book-related events that they called Radical May. Fernwood and Between the Lines were part of that project, and at some point in the course of the organizing, it was actually Amanda Crocker, managing editor at Between the Lines, who suggested that the participating publishers go one step farther and form a new organization. Currently, more than 30 book and magazine publishers from around the world with various kinds of left-leaning, critical, and social justice-oriented politics have come together to support each other and to act in solidarity as the Radical Publishers Alliance. The Alliance's work has included collaborating on and cross-publicizing each other's events in Radical May and beyond, but it's involved a lot of other things as well. Radical publishers around the world were facing not identical, but certainly similar circumstances during the urgent early days of the pandemic, and the Alliance was an important resource for them to figure out what to do. They could talk through issues together, bounce ideas off each other, and so on. Skill sharing has been important as well, as some members were already well-versed in the various kinds of online work that the new moment demands, but others had to learn. 
And they're also doing things like collaborating on sending welcome back packages to US-based independent bookstores as they reopen, and strategizing about reaching out to librarians with radical politics. And as the longer-term implications of the crisis become clearer for left-leaning publishers, they're strategizing together about how to navigate the new reality. I speak with Jiwa and Bush about Fernwood and Between the Lines, respectively, about the impact of COVID-19 on their work, and about the Radical Publishers Alliance. And for the sake of transparency, I should let listeners know that I have published two books, both focused on Canadian history told through the stories of activists, with Fernwood. I'm David Bush. I'm the publicity and promotions manager at Between the Lines Books. When I was younger, in high school and early university, it was the anti-globalization movement. So I think I was sort of politicized through that and then through the subsequent anti-war movement, where I learned a lot of political lessons about how to organize, develop my analysis through that practice, you know, became a lifelong socialist in the process. And then I've been involved in labor organizing and social justice organizing in various capacities. I'm still involved in editing and writing at a couple of different online magazines at rankandfile.ca and at Spring Magazine. I recently only got into working in the publishing industry. Between the Lines Books has like a really deep commitment to social justice, to elevating important voices and ideas that are critical of the mainstream, that presents a critical analysis of capitalism, and rediscovering kind of lost histories. I'm Fazila Jiwa. I am the Acquisitions and Development Editor, one of the Acquisitions and Development Editors at Fernwood Publishing. I had a teacher in high school that took me to my first rally, which was a Take Back the Night rally. At the same time, my dad, he's a truck driver, still is, and pretty active in labor politics and stuff. So I started that way. I became very involved in feminist organizing and also housing, worked in cooperative housing for a long time, transitional housing. I kind of work uh, pretty passionate about homelessness. I grew up in Vancouver, and that's a huge concern there, and all of the intersections that go along with that gentrification, addictions. And actually started out as a writer. I still write sometimes. And sometimes I think that I came to editing because it's easier for me than writing. I really respect writers. I think it's one of the hardest things to do, to put your thoughts into words and then onto the page. So I am very passionate about helping people do that. And especially folks who have important critical analysis of our society right now particularly Canadian society. So Fernwood's mandate of publishing critical books for critical thinkers really jives with my own personal interests and the Radical Publishers Alliance. It's a group of publishers who identify themselves as left-leaning with critical analysis, radical, and have come together. The impetus was the pandemic to see if we can strategize to help each other to practice solidarity as like-minded publishers. Tell me a bit more about the histories and work of Fernwood and Between the Lines. Fernwood started as a publishing house in the 90s, but it started as a book sales company in the 70s. The story goes that Errol Sharp started off the sales company and his idea was to put critical books into universities, so into the hands of students so that those ideas get the play that they deserve. 
But he kept getting authors who had great ideas for books, asking him to set them up with publishers. And when he tried to do that, he found that a lot of publishers weren't that interested in publishing really critical ideas. So he started a press. They published their first book in 1992 and since then have grown. And recently, I would say, have just continued changing in terms of the types of books that they publish. So at first, I would say that there's a lot of feminist and labor-oriented books. These days, I mean, my personal mission as a acquisitions editor who is a person of color is to publish more books about migration and issues that affect people of color in particular, BIPOC people. And I think that Fernwood is a great place for that. And we have recently had a pretty good track record of publishing books by these kinds of important voices. Yeah, and in terms of BTL's history, it was founded in 1977. Two smaller presses or publishing collectives came together and formed Between the Lines. What is, I think, distinguishable about Between the Lines is that we are a collective, and so we operate on a books without bosses kind of mantra, which is an interesting process about how we talk about organizing ourselves inside the publishing industry and how we make decisions and things like that. So there's a lot of say for people who work for Between the Lines or people who are involved in the editorial committee about, you know, what kinds of voices do we want to elevate in terms of the books we're trying to publish? What kind of gaps are we trying to fill in in terms of critical analysis of capitalism, settler colonialism? And so, like Fernwood, we're really trying to cut against, I think, some of the mainstream Canadian publishing in terms of what it focuses on. So we've been very fortunate to publish lots of great critical labor histories, also trying to raise up voices, critical settler colonialism, indigenous voices, social histories, and things like that. There's not that many left publishers in Canada, so I think it's so important that you know we both exist and the other progressive publishers in Canada exist to actually raise those voices and occupy that space in publishing to push back against the big publishing houses. I would add that it's really important that these kinds of publishing houses that have always been critical of the mainstream and have always published left-wing critiques have done so, you know, since the beginning. And right now, it's really trendy, I'd say, to publish voices, BIPOC voices, Indigenous literatures. And I feel really suspicious of that. I know that I'm not the only one. And I feel proud to say that presses like BTL and Fernwood have done this before it was profitable and will continue to do that. One of the things I've often noticed is that most people, even most avid readers, don't always have a great understanding of how the publishing industry works. So talk more about what's distinctive about Fernwood and Between the Lines, and while you do that, lay out things that you wish prospective readers knew about publishing that they often don't. Before I really got into publishing, I didn't really understand how the publishing business worked, partly because it's from the outside pretty opaque. What it takes to get a book on a shelf is a lot of work on the production side, the editorial side, and the distribution, sales, and promo side. And to making sure that those books are available in local community bookstores and things like that. It's a lot of work. 
And one of the things people may not know is the level of concentration in the publishing industry is pretty high in terms of when you walk into an Indigo, what kind of books you're seeing is really a lot about the muscle and power of the big publishing industry to like actually occupy those spaces, have those books actually be the ones that you're seeing. Same thing with Amazon, what books come up on recommendations. There's a lot of money involved, a lot of power, a lot of influence. And what I learned or am learning is how important it is to have small progressive presses that actually are committed to left progressive politics, committed to challenging settler colonialism or racism in the content of their publishing, not just today, but on a go-forward basis, because it's so easy for something to become a fad And then the actual infrastructure of trying to raise those voices, trying to get those ideas out there, if that's not built up, I think the publishing industry or what's available to readers in Canada is in danger of just being totally monolithic, big presses. I guess I would add a historical aspect that distinguishes Canadian publishing from American publishing. If you go into Indigo or if you look on Amazon, a lot of the books that you'll see there are U.S.-based, U.S. authors, U.S. publishers. In general, the art sector in Canada was given a big boost and has continued to be funded because of the Massey Commission. Uh, That's the Royal Commission on National Development in the Arts, Letters, and Sciences, chaired by future Governor General Vincent Massey, that worked between 1949 and 1951 to lay out a post-war Canadian cultural policy. Government subsidies for Canadian-owned publishers began in the early 1970s. While that sets the Canadian publishing industry apart from the U.S. publishing industry because of government funding, and that's a good thing. I mean, small presses could not operate without that kind of core government funding. But it's really important to analyze that because the Massey Commission and really government funding in general has had a historical goal of creating Canadian culture, which at the same time means erasing Indigenous cultures and erasing voices that have not been considered to be Canadian. So that changes, of course, like we've been talking a lot about how trendy it is now to think about multiculturalism and Indigenous voices and stuff. So there's a lot of funding for that right now, but there hasn't always been. So one of the ways that dissent can be crushed is through government funding, too. So I think we, as small publishers with radical politics, have to kind of walk that line between being recipients of this funding and making sure that being recipients of this funding does not quench any of our politics. What has the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic been on publishing, particularly for smaller publishers like Fernwood and Between the Lines? I mean, obviously not good. We might not see exactly how this all plays out in terms of sales in books right away. We have an idea what April looks like, what May looks like, but over time, you know, how does this impact course orders and academic sales in that market in the fall or next year? Not totally sure yet. So I think we might be a bit in the dark. I do suspect some of the problems are 
Some smaller bookstores, I think, are doing quite well, partly because they have an established customer base and a committed way to communicate with them. But some small bookstores are really going to be suffering, depending on their location and their history and so forth. Even large businesses like Indigo look like they could be in trouble, which is also an issue for large and small presses. And then also the growth of Amazon and the concentration and their grip on the publishing industry is worrying. They're obviously evil as a company and hyper-exploitative, both to the workers, but also how they take advantage of things like small presses. So that is worrying, and those are worrying trends. And we don't know how customer patterns, how people will be buying and seeing books. Will that change? I'm not sure. But I do think one of the things, though, is that there is probably an appetite for new ideas or critical ideas of the system. And I think for presses like Fernwood and BTL, there probably is a renewed openness to the ideas that we've long stood behind. Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's hard to figure out what the fall semester is going to look like. BTL and certainly Fernwood publish books that are used in university courses and their lives are tied to what happens in universities. So far, I think most Canadian universities in the fall are going online. For us, it has meant a lot of demand for ebooks. Generally, the trend has been towards readers want ebooks and audiobooks. And it just means that there are the same amount of sales of the book, but we have to provide them in different formats. So for small publishers, I think that that's more of an issue. So there's been a lot of demand for ebooks lately. That's been kind of throwing us for a bit of a loop because we have to scramble to meet those demands. But also, as bookstores have been closing and other distributors have been closing, there's been an increase in publishers' website sales. That's a really good thing that people are finding those websites and buying the books directly, but also presses are not set up to do retail. So it's created a backlog of work to get these books into people's hands, which is the ultimate goal. We're slower at it because we're not set up to do that kind of retail at that level. So there are pros and cons to that. It's just like a changing landscape of what people want right now. And again, the bottom line is putting these important ideas into people's hands at this moment where there's a larger group of people who are starting to become aware of how broken our system of capitalism is right now. And they're hungry for those ideas that are critical of it. And they're hungry for the ideas that provide alternatives. Where did the idea for the Radical Publishers Alliance come from? There's an organization called Literal, which puts on a book festival that was supposed to be happening in Spain, but it couldn't happen because of COVID. And they were thinking about doing like an online book fair. And they came up with the idea of reaching out to other publishers and doing something called Radical May, which BTL, Fernwood, and a bunch of other left publishers across the globe participated in doing online events, book launches, discussions, panels uh, throughout that month. So Radical May was formed around that. And I'll give credit to Amanda, who is the editor here, who was one of the driving forces of helping to launch the Alliance. Right now, it encompasses 30 presses and publishing houses. 
And I think because they were in different countries that many were facing in the early days of lockdown, different kinds of conditions. So I think it was a way for people to support each other, to talk through different issues about what to do, share information about the best ways to do book launches share and promote each other's events. And I think what's really great about that is that I think it has helped foster relationships that were already there, but to really kind of concretize them to feel that we're part of a supportive community. So when we see Burnwood, for instance, doing great promo or have a really great book, it's like, how do we elevate that? How do we make sure that we're supporting that? Because those voices are important that publishing house is key for elect projects in terms of raising those ideas. So the Radical May series of online events was a big thing early on for the New Alliance. What was interesting and different about collaborating in that way? These were like really interesting events that helped gain, I think, a new audience. And partly what's really interesting about these sort of Zoom type or online events is that rather than book launches, which are great because, you know, they're intimate and people can come to them, ask authors questions, and there is sort of a sense of an in-person event, which is really nice. But the difference is that people who aren't necessarily residing in the same community can just sort of tune in. And so in some ways, there was increased accessibility, which was, you know, interesting and new. So I think that was one of the things that was kind of interesting about the whole Radical May was that it was a way to elevate all these authors and kind of hear different voices from across the globe. I would add that the audiences were shared as well because we were able to collaborate with the Literal folks. They created this amazing website where all of the events were hosted in one place. It was a way of, I guess, collaborating to share our audiences as well as our authors. Also, behind the scenes, there has been a lot of skill sharing that's been going on. When we started thinking about Radical May, not everybody knows how to put on an online event that looks good. Haymarket had that down really early on, and John from that publisher was able to give a skill-sharing session on the platform that he used, which I ended up using as well. So yeah, the sharing part came from just being hosted on the same page, being able to share each other's information about different events. All the publishers were sharing each other's events and hopefully attending them too. (laughs) So it was really cool. And I think we might be planning another one at some point, another month-long series of events hosted by the Radical Publishers Alliance. And beyond Radical May, what other kinds of concrete ways have members of the Alliance been supporting each other and working together? There's a lot of just talking about what is the publishing landscape looking like in all these different countries and sharing information that isn't always forthcoming. I mean, it's not like you see news articles about radical publishing all the time (laughs) telling you what's going on. So sharing that kind of information has been really helpful. I guess commiserating as well as figuring out ways that we can collaborate to, for example, welcome back booksellers in the U.S. who might stock these kinds of books. 
by sending, you know, a collaborative welcome back package with different kinds of books and stuff. So it's like ideas about how to do sales at a time like this, where we have to be innovative and also center the allies that we have. Like we're talking about possibly trying to come up with a list of librarians with radical politics who we could possibly do an event for them particularly to showcase the books that various publishers who are in the alliance might think would be good to put in libraries, things like that. Things that we wouldn't be able to do or that wouldn't even really be attractive to do as a single publisher or even two publishers. When there is an alliance of 30 publishers, 30 or more from around the world, I think that those kinds of initiatives become doable, especially because we're sharing the workload as well. When the crisis hit, it was relatively fast. So that sharing of information was so important because things were so fast moving in the publishing industry. You know, for instance, printers were shut down. Like our printer at one point was shut down. We were just having to think through all these things and to have access to so many voices to bounce this stuff off of and ideas is very helpful because we're a small staff component. And so to be plugged into something bigger Actually, this is a really big, important point of connection for us to make sure that we know how to best position ourselves to survive this crisis. Because it might seem like we're all out of the wood, you know what I mean? Like we survived the worst part of it. Things are kind of opening up. But the future is unknown. And I think that there's troubled waters ahead for the economy and also for our industry. And to have this infrastructure in place to share that information and to had gone through the experience of doing Radical May and then learn all the best lessons we can from it, to replicate it, to make sure that, you know, if we have to transition to more online sales and do more cross-promotion with other publishers, we have that relationship, we have that alliance now, and it feels a lot more comforting knowing what we may have to face in the future. Local progressive bookstores have been the backbone of some of our relationships around promoting our books, selling our books, putting on events. So it's like we want to continue to support those institutions, but also at the same time recognize that dealing with the increased Amazonization of online purchases, we need to figure out how to do more direct sales and all the challenges that that presents. I think that there will always be a place for quality books and presses that have principled politics that raise the profile of people struggling against settler colonialism, people fighting for workers' rights, people fighting for social justice, people fighting against anti-Black racism. I think that the things that we have as progressive publishers like Fernwood, Between the Lines, and many others, is that we're committed for the long haul. We're not a business that is about getting rich off of selling books we're not. We are in a business of trying to get books out into the public and into our readers' hands to help the process of collective transformation of our world for the better. And we feel like that there's going to be space for that as long as we're able to do that, because we have so many great authors who have much to contribute to those conversations. We might have to adjust exactly what we're doing and how we're doing it, but the core of our business, those ideas aren't changing. And we think that there's probably going to be a growing appetite for that. You have been listening to my interview with Fazila Jiwa of Fernwood Publishing, 
and David Bush of Between the Lines, and we've been talking about the Radical Publishers Alliance. They're still in the middle of building their website, so your best bet to learn more about them is to type Radical Publishers Alliance into your favorite search engine. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.